Hello, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. That would be Des Moines, Iowa. And we've got guests from all over the uh, country joining us today. Hey, if you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the uh, donations page on the website, FallonForum.com. If you run a small business or nonprofit, consider becoming a sponsor. And uh, speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Market and Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, uh, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods and, and a community focus, check out the good food difference at Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Hey, thanks to all of you who support this program, including our sponsors and the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. So we got a lot on the agenda today, but first I would like to welcome to the program Les Knight. Uh, back in 1991, Les founded the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. He's still active with the organization, still has no kids, and is joining us on the phone from Portland, Oregon. Good morning, Les. Good morning. So tell us about the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, which is a very intriguing name. Well, yes. In fact, the name says it all. We promote the voluntary extinction of our species, and we encourage people to think before they procreate. If they think it all the way through and overcome their natalist indoctrination, they probably won't. So when we stop procreating, we'll begin to phase ourselves out. So why is that a good thing? Well, it's good for planet and for people. As we phase ourselves out, there will be more of everything for everyone, potentially. We might even stop fighting over resources, and world peace would be achieved for the first time. And as far as all the other species, we are uh, causing the sixth mass extinction, and perhaps we can prevent that from going too much further. Mm. We can at least increase wildlife habitat. because when there are more of us, we have to live somewhere, and we're encroaching on wildlife habitat with our agriculture and actually with houses. But you're, so as we go, yep, go ahead. But your movement is talking about getting to zero, no human beings, gone completely. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, a lot of times people talk about, uh, they, they try to tone it down so that they don't seem too extreme. But I think a lot of the reason we're in such dire straits is because scientists and people who know what's going on always downplay the uh, the truth. And the, and the truth is the intentional creation of one more of us by anyone, anywhere, can't be justified at this time. But, I mean, human beings survived on this planet for a long, long time in very sustainable communities. I mean, I mean I'm thinking of our own continent specifically, all the native, uh, the native nations that lived here, yeah, relative uh, stability with the with the with the environment with with nature. Why why can't we you know seek to achieve some kind of uh, balance somewhere somewhere between the uh, the you know I, I agree. I mean, what's happening now to the planet is 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 so off the charts wrong. I mean, yeah, we are in, we are igniting the sixth mass extinction, but isn't there like a happy medium somewhere between that and zero human beings? 
Well, I think we can learn a lot from uh, the original inhabitants of this uh, North America. But uh, And as we uh, become fewer and fewer, uh, maybe we can get back to that. But uh, it was only about 70,000 years ago there were we were down to 15,000 they think uh and, and we're just so freaking fecund we we breed like well, like humans and <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be right back where we are again if we didn't go completely extinct of course i i won't be around to have a say when we get down to the last breeding right. couple so you know and you you founded the organization in uh, 1991 so you've been around a while What's, uh, how successful have you been? Well, you know, if we were really successful, uh, a quarter of a million more members would uh, join the movement every day. We're definitely not achieving that because that's the uh, increase of the human population. How- I actually started promoting uh, non-breeding to uh, achieve our extinction in the early 70s. But 1991 is when I finally got around to putting out the first newsletter and started getting media attention. Yeah. And has the, I mean, are you a membership organization? No. Okay. No, it's not even an organization. It's a, it's a movement. Okay. So gotcha. no sense bothering with all that. Okay. Yeah. President, treasurer. Right. <laughs> so no, no, no need to, no need to uh, come up with an IRS tax status or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Okay. That'd be more work than we want to put into all it. All right. Yeah. Well, I guess if your goal is to do less, then yeah, why would you want to do more work, right? Um, hey, there you go, minimalist. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but I mean, so I mean, you, you and I, sh- I mean, I, I assume you are against what's happening uh, regarding the extinction of other species. You're against the sixth mass mass extinction. Yes. So yes, I think that yes, it's inhumane. Right. So why, why, why would one be against extinction of other species and okay with our own extinction? Well, ours is voluntary. Uh, theirs is involuntary. And also, if we look uh, objectively at the biosphere as a whole, uh, there's one species that really is incompatible and doesn't fit in. In many places like North America, South America, we are an exotic invader. We didn't evolve with the species that are here. And that's why so many went extinct when we first invaded. The same thing happened in Australia. Every, everywhere we go, there is a spasm of extinctions. And then sometimes we get an ethic, as the Native Americans here did, uh, uh, get an ethic of respecting the uh wildlife and living more uh, lightly and, and uh, not being so uh, rapacious, I guess. So, but the, but the invasive uh, human humans you're talking about and all those places you mentioned, they're pretty much European, so maybe we should focus on the, the extinction of European culture. <laughs> well, you know that... <laughs> and I'm, I'm not offering that as a serious suggestion, but I mean, yeah. the, all, all the ones you... It did. You're right. It did accelerate <laughs> tremendously. And a part of it is, is the overpopulation of Europe, where we had to branch out into other areas. But uh, but greed had a lot to do with it too, you know, yeah, exploiting sure. the resources of uh, other places. So yeah, it's it, we have really uh, done a lot more, but it's just a question of degree. Yeah, but are we? I mean, sure, we 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 do crazy, ridiculous things as a species, but we're also gifted in a way that no other species is and couldn't we apply that gift of our of our intellect to uh, the betterment of all life on this planet if we 
again, tr try to achieve some stable level of population, uh, a sustainable way of living on the earth. And wouldn't that in the end potentially benefit other life forms as well? Uh, I don't know if it would benefit other life forms, except that it, we wouldn't be killing them. Uh, so that would definitely benefit them. <laughs> but yes, uh, as we, that's the idea. Uh, to use our intellect and think instead of just mindlessly uh, procreating like a uh, you know yeast in a vat in a vat of beer. Well, I'm sure we're smarter than that, but we haven't really shown it yet. I've never, I've never heard <laughs> humanity <laughs> compared to yeast before. But I, 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 okay, that's that's clever. So uh, you know when I when I think about species going extinct, uh, I you know I, I you know it's a, it's an unhappy. Thing to contemplate all the different uh, plants, animals, whatnot, had that had, that are no longer inhabiting the planet because of human activity in many cases, most cases. But um, what about ticks? I mean, I would I would love to get rid of ticks. Couldn't we do that? I mean, every there isn't a single mammal out there that likes ticks. Oh yeah. Well, part of the reason we've had a, a flourishing of an increase in them is our encroaching into areas of uh, habitat that we hadn't before. Sure. And that's just, that's one of them. And there are others that are coming to life, as they say, and and uh, they're opportunistic, like all species. Like, oh boy, here we have fresh food, and uh, <laughs> and we've also eliminated some of their. Uh, the, the food that they normally would, uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you mean. I mean, how do they help the biosphere as a whole? The no, there, there's, not, there's, not, there's, there's not a single mammal out there that likes them. At least with, yeah. at least with <laughs> mosquitoes, you know, somebody's eating them. I, I guess probably there's something that eats a tick as well, especially yeah. in, a, in a gorge tick is a pretty, pretty hefty meal, uh, high-protein uh -huh. diet. But um, anyway, I, I just... I, 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 you know, I, I, the way this conversation started actually was we had, um, my wife and I had four young people over for dinner one day, and uh, we were just curious about why none of them had kids, and uh, one of them mentioned the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, and uh, right. I, 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 again, I don't know if, uh, if they're really involved with it, but they, they're aware of it, but I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the reasons given for not having kids include concern about whether climate change is going to make life so difficult that they don't want to bring kids in the world to have to deal with that. Uh, also concern about the ongoing threat of nuclear war. Uh, concerns about the, the, the unending and increasing inequality within our, within our world, where you've got a handful of very, very wealthy people and a larger portion of the population unable to sustain a very, you know, ha you know, happy lifestyle because of this inequity. And all those factors kind of leading to, well, you know, do we really want to have kids? But then also, I mean, I also have kid, you know, young people telling me, you know, we just want to have freedom. We, we, we want to be able to go and do what we want to do. We want to be able to travel. We want to be able to, you know, to, to not be burdened by having, uh, having kids. <laughs> so, uh, I, mean, I mean, all those factors as well seem to be playing into the decision. And they do, yes. And another one is the uh, the lack of economic opportunity that young people are are facing. Uh, but this gets us to the point: all of those young people have an option; they have a choice. But there are hundreds of millions of couples around the planet who do who lack the wherewithal to not procreate, other than 
uh, abstention, you know, that doesn't that doesn't work. So what we really need to, to focus on, I think, at this time, well, a lot of things, but it would really help if we had universal reproductive freedom, if everybody on the planet had the wherewithal to not procreate if they didn't want to. And by that, you mean uh, access to contraception or availability of, of, of abortion as well? Or what are you referring to specifically? Well, uh, contraception is the main thing. But uh, if we uh, just have contraception uh, spread around, it's not enough. We need full reproductive health services, which includes abortion uh, if the contraceptives fail. But in mm-hmm. most cases, with good mm-hmm. contraception and uh proper education about it, yeah. there will be very few abortions needed. But it does seem that in, in places of the world where poverty is addressed, where, where women are given more opportunity, uh, yes. again, where, as you said, where contraception is available, it does seem that uh, that those, those, um, those factors on their own lead to a lower level of population growth. They do. Yes, there are, there are a lot of factors, uh, education, opportunity for something besides motherhood, just the freedom uh, the lack of oppression, but through it, all of those, uh, contraception is an essential element. You've got to have the wherewithal in addition to the freedom. Hmm. So what about, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm the father of two, uh, love my kids, uh, couldn't imagine life without them. Isn't it, um, is, isn't pushing for, again, again, the tagline on your website, thank you for not breeding. I like that. It's very clever, very cute. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but, but also, isn't it, isn't it kind of pushing uh, a philosophy that leads to many people not having that, that, that great joy of having, having kids? Oh, it's true. And, you know, if, if this really took on and nobody produced any offspring, human society would be greatly diminished. I was at a an event yesterday with a uh, an information booth, and it was a bicycle event where pe- there was a route picked out, and there was families and lots and lots of kids. Some of them so small, you wonder how are they holding that? How did they learn to ride so soon? And uh, it, it's really wonderful to see all of these ages working together, playing together, just having a good time. But I think. We have to admit that creation of a new human today is exploitative. If we think about that human's lifetime, that was one of the reasons you gave, what kind of life are they going to have? Can, can we really guarantee that in their lifetime, which is the rest of the century, they will have a, a reasonable, uh, livable life? And in will, ha- will the planet be inhabitable? And you never know. I mean, we've had dark times throughout history. You know, and uh, these times certainly look dark uh, in many ways, but there's also plenty of reason, I think, to have hope and to believe that uh, if we if we uh, if we finally gain the political will, for example, in our country specifically, uh, we could do some pretty amazing things uh, to restore uh, damaged ecosystems, to bring about more uh, more economic and uh, and social equality. Uh, yes, I mean, we, we have the potential yes. to do all and, those things. Uh, right, uh, and with the fewer of us there are, I think the better chance we'll have of doing that. <laughs> uh, it all works together. This is actually a very humanitarian uh, movement, uh, as well as ecological. 
because, uh, like you say, the uh, the inequality. I mean, that alone is just causing so much. Uh, you know, half the population is barely scraping by. This yeah. is not a not a good situation. Well, Les, I really want to thank you for joining us. Again, I agree with a lot of your concerns. Uh, I do want to say I wish the voluntary human extinction movement uh, a distinct lack of success. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> right. I, 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 I hope that I hope that you're not successful. But again, I right. hope you, I hope you and others are successful at raising awareness about the fact that we do have some real serious problems that need to be addressed. So again, I, I thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, and thank you for letting me. Uh, uh, share the idea with so many people. You're welcome. Folks, we're talking with Les Knight. Uh, this is Ed Fallon, your host. We've got to take a short break. When we come back in a minute, we're going to give you an update on a few different interesting angles on climate change, including the eminent domain conversation, which is uh, increasingly troubling and increasingly connected with concerns about climate change. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. And again, thanks to our sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Hey, before I introduce my next guest, i got to say a word about last week's record heat wave across uh, Southeast Asia. You know, Saturday saw the hottest the hottest temperature ever recorded in Vietnam, 116 degrees Fahrenheit. Now in Laos, you know, just nearby. Also on Saturday, the temp hit 110.3, and that broke the previous record of 108.9, which was set last month. So I mean, it's been a crazy hot April May in the southeast uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, meanwhile, you know, we continue to ignore science, um, not, not just we in the U.S., but apparently the whole world, which tells me that we have, you know, I mean, science, science is pretty clear. We've got to end our reliance on fossil fuels. And, and you know, what's, what it says to me is we've got to do everything we can, especially pressuring our government officials who we elected, who represent us. They've got to start taking this, this climate situation more seriously. And I think it's got to be us because, you know, again, big business isn't going to do it. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll do their little greenwashing dance 
And then they'll keep on drilling, <laughs> keep on pumping, keep on transporting, keep on burning fossil fuels as long as it's profitable for them to do so. And in part, it's profitable because we subsidize them through our taxes. I mean, look at, again, that's, you know, these, uh, these tax credits approved in the Inflation Reduction Act under the guise of carbon sequestration, that's a great example of the problem. They're going to keep these companies rich, uh, again, greenwashing, pretending they're doing the right thing, and that the problem's going to get worse because, you know, here in the upper Midwest, we're dealing with these carbon dioxide pipelines, and this is, these are not a climate solution. Any, any objective analysis of, of, the, of, these, of this proposal does not pan out well in terms of a favorable impact on carbon emissions. But, you know, the money's there. They're going to take it from, from our tax dollars and use it to fund a few big companies to build these things. And we are under, the, uh, we're, we're under a lot of pressure to uh, fight back, and the fight is uh, picking up a lot of steam. In fact, um, you know, in Iowa, there's like 2,000 miles of farmland they want to go through. But they're also taking uh, a lot of land, uh, want to take a lot of land in South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Illinois. And uh, I want to I welcome to the program now um, uh, Craig Shoneman. He's a farmer near Aberdeen, South Dakota, who served in the uh, legislature there from 1988 through 1998. And he also served as the uh, South Dakota State Executive Director for the uh, USDA Farm Service Agency under President Obama. And now he finds himself at risk of having his land taken by eminent domain for Summits, and again, Summit is an Iowa corporation owned by, oh, the biggest uh, Republican donor here in the state. Uh, <laughs> Summit wants to take uh, a whole bunch of land in South Dakota. In fact, they are suing 80 landowners, including Craig. Craig, welcome to the program. Uh, well, thank you, Ed. Yeah, so your, um, your farm is targeted with this, this proposal. That would be correct. Uh, my brother Kirk and I are in a partnership together. And um, actually, it wants to cross about uh, three miles that we own and another half mile that we rent. So that's a lot of land. Uh, yes, it, you know, it, it, you know, for for Brown County, South Dakota, it, I don't know, maybe I think it's like twenty-eight miles in in Brown County, and you know, we're, you know, a fairly good portion of that ten yeah. percent of it. And what what kind of are you? Are, is your land tiled? Is it rolling? What kind of what, what's the contour like there? No, uh, actually, we're located right next to Aberdeen, so we're just a mile out of the ethanol plant in Aberdeen, which is uh, will be a feeder line that goes out to the main line at Minus, South Dakota. Uh, we have a mix of some pasture ground, farm ground. Um, we're not tiled west of Aberdeen, uh, very little tile, west, uh, no tile west of Aberdeen. So it's uh, mostly pasture and mm -hmm. uh, farm ground um, right next to Aberdeen. And so Summit has uh, just recently announced that they're suing 80 landowners for the right to use eminent domain to condemn, condemn their land to build this pipeline. And you're one of them. Yep, we were yeah. served papers on uh, Saturday uh, by right. the deputy. And so we were... Uh, they, yeah, we got to respond within 30 days. And uh, what, what happens? How does this look going forward? What you have, you respond, and then and then where does that take you? Well, you know, we had a conversation with an attorney today, and you know, you got to go through the condemnation process, and they've got an offer. Um, you know, we really 
in, in South Dakota, you don't have a lot of rights when the uh, property rights, when you go through this condemnation process, they have to determine, you know, if we can't come to an agreement, then it goes to a jury trial to determine the value. And the jury trial, who, who sits on the jury? It'll be just, it's a civil lawsuit, so uh, in the Fifth Circuit, and they will pick, uh, you know, you'll be called for jury duty, and, uh, you know, uh, each side will need to uh, agree to who sits on the jury. And do you think all 80 landowners will take it to that level of resistance? You know, I don't know at this point. I know a lot of them that are locked in in Brown and McPherson County, Northern Spink County, uh, whether they go take it all the way to the lawsuit, it would be hard uh, for me to uh, project even the number at this point of how many will will follow yeah. all the way through to the to the end. Well, because it costs money to fight this thing, right? It uh, nothing comes free. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, it's going to take some money, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. It, I mean, it's a process, um, you know, that's got to play out in in the courts. Um, you know, uh, for us, we've got property right next to Aberdeen, what I would call within a mile of Aberdeen, next to development property. And, you know, uh, it's always been about property rights and valuation for us. Right. Um, we've just never come to an agreement. And you do you raise do you raise the crops on that land now? You know, we're a corn uh, uh, spring wheat and bean operation. We also have some alfalfa run uh cattle also yeah because one thing we've seen here in iowa with the uh, dakota access pipeline is uh, farmers saw a, a significant a very noticeable decline in yield for corn and soybean crops after i mean like four years after they the uh, dakota access pipeline was installed you could still see significant decline in yields yeah we've got a you know 42 inch natural gas pipeline that crosses about eight quarters of our ground um you know it's there. Um, you know it's hard to get a yield monitor when you're going, when it's running diagonal and you're going. But uh, you can see where the pipeline goes, and there's a yield loss there. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it doesn't take anybody with a, 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 a you know with an agronomy degree to see that you have a loss there. Right. Yeah. Well, now I, I know in South Dakota you've got a public utilities commission. That's the equivalent of our Iowa Utilities Board here. And they do they have the ultimate authority to determine whether eminent domain can be used by Summit, or have they already made a decision on that? In South Dakota, um, the PUC has no authority uh, under for eminent domain. That's ah. all. Uh, the legislature has laid that out, but the okay. PUC has no authority with eminent domain. And given here in Iowa, we saw a pretty spirited debate about uh, strengthening the eminent domain regulation. Uh, specifically, the uh, proposal was to require that, that a, a company wanting to build a CO2 pipeline would have to get approval from 90 percent of the landowners on their route, voluntary uh, approval. And if they were able to reach that threshold, then they could use eminent domain um, against the remaining 10%. And I think there was a lot of a lot of belief that they weren't going to be able to do that. And that may be why the pro-pipeline people were able to push that, let that legislation off the calendar. It passed in the House pretty overwhelmingly and was never taken up in the state Senate. Uh, did you see a similar debate in South Dakota on that issue this year? Yes, uh, you know, not so much on the, uh, we couldn't get the threshold out of the committee, but we did get, out of committee where 
you know, defining a common carrier, and that's where South mm. Dakota, once it was defined that uh, Summit could be a common carrier, then that that enabled them to use eminent domain, and it was House Bill 1133 for us that we got out of the House and couldn't get over in the Senate, mm. out of the Senate committee. Mm -hmm. But that was really the crux of trying to not allow them to be defined as a, you know, uh, as a common carrier in right. South Dakota, which then if they were not defined as a common carrier, they could not use eminent domain. Gotcha. Okay. We, we made some headway in the house, got it out of the house, but failed in the Senate. Right. So who are the, uh, what, what entities, organizations, individuals, political leaders, who is supporting the summit pipeline in your state? Well, the ethanol industry obviously is, is uh, supporting um, that um, the you had um, you know the Chamber of Commerce uh, spoke uh, against any of the bills um, you know in South Dakota any of the utility companies when it gets into eminent domain gets uh, you know um, having served in the legislature um, you know they I don't want to say pile on but they were all there opposing us um, mm. and you know I, somehow I think we need to and speaking with the House Majority Leader in the House, we need to separate out um, those utilities versus these pipelines when it comes to eminent domain, and, and I think that's something the legislature needs to work on. Well, there's a huge difference. The utility running through your property is something you can tap into. That power line connects to your home. The uh, the gas line connects to your stove. The sewer line and water line bring or remove, you know, something that you benefit from. And uh, and this is just passing through. It's just bringing that CO2 up to North Dakota. Yeah, there's, you know, they want to say it's a public benefit versus yeah. a public use. And I think condemnation for me, it's always been about property rights mm -hmm. and condemnation should have been used for public use. Uh, that's why you get the water systems. That's why it was laid there yeah. or, or in our constitution for roads, uh, water systems, electrical systems. I, I think we've gone too far here. And, uh, and that's why, I, you know, believe in the property rights. Yeah. It seems like the direction we're going is to see that we're going to see a, a continued expansion of the ability of private companies to use eminent domain. I mean, I, I, you know, when I was opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline here in Iowa, I did not envision it getting to this point where a, a whole new set of pipelines was going to come on, uh, even you know, even perhaps even more questionable in terms of its public use. And I, I don't know where this leads, but it seems to me it's going in the wrong direction and may not, you know, may continue to go that way. Well, I think this summit and, and Navigator, the two that are, you know, at least in this area or South Dakota, um, you know, I think people need to be aware and, and landowners need to be aware. It's just the beginning. Uh, you know, if they think, oh, they'll just build these two and go away. Um, no, I, you know, I think it's just the beginning of what we're going to see. And, you know, everybody needs to be aware that they really don't have property rights in South Dakota. Yeah, or in many other places anymore, you know. Certainly we're dealing with a, yeah, I mean, some of the, some of what you described in South Dakota is different than what we're dealing with in Iowa. And I probably, I imagine it's a little bit different in every state in the upper Midwest. But, but the common theme is, you know, you're, we're losing control over what we can do with our property uh, to private companies. Not, I mean, again, in the past it was, you know, some some public agency or entity indicated they needed that land for a general public purpose. This is very, very different. And it seems like the door is being opened wider and wider. 
the the door has been opened very wide and uh, you know somehow we need to learn how to or be able to legislate or, or rein back that barn door hmm. uh, or it'll just continue um, to get worse in my opinion. Have there been any polls in South Dakota indicating where the public stands on the use of eminent domain to build these pipelines? No and I know Iowa had one and I followed the Iowa legislature and um, no, there was. Yeah, uh, in, in Iowa, seventy-eight percent yeah. of Iowans polled in a very reputable poll oppose using eminent domain to build either the Summit, the Navigator, or the Wolf Pipeline. We have three here, and uh, and yet we had a we had a, a legislature unwilling to take action. I mean, the House they did, the Senate not at all. The governor on the wrong side of this. I mean, I it's just it's it's very frustrating, and I'm. Just on a political, from a political point of view, and I think you you were formerly a Democratic lawmaker as well, correct? That would be correct. And I was as well, but I can't tell you how disappointed I am in the Democratic Party for not um, offering a distinction uh, with the Republican Party on this, because I, I mean, you know, people don't people don't like the direction it's going, and you have a the political party in charge here is doing nothing to address it. Yeah, and uh, politics sometimes makes strange bedfellows, and, and we've tried to keep politics out of it, in, at least in our group, or landowners for eminent domain reform. I mean, we've got Democrat and Republicans working together on this because they know the importance of it. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's it's an important issue. It's, and to me, it's not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's a property rights issue. But clearly, either, you know, the Democrats could have took the lead on this. Yeah. Um, you know, we're small in numbers here in South Dakota, but, you know, we've, we've tried to keep the politics out of it. And, mm-hmm. and so far, we've been able to do that because, um, you know, I've got Republican friends and Democratic friends. And, you know, uh, we've just in, a, in our group, it, it's bipartisan and we're trying to do the right thing for property rights. That's as it should be. And, you know, my, uh, my the one bill I floor managed as a lawmaker was uh, in was in response to. Uh, the, the the need to tighten eminent domain law uh, to make it more friendly to property owners and that that was back oh, I think it was in 2000 and we we did strengthen the uh, the law and about 90 90 90 out of 100 representatives voted for it and then again you know in response to kilo the uh, kilo case in Connecticut uh, there was that that was my very last vote actually was voting to override the governor's veto of a bill that tough and eminent domain law in response to so-called economic development pressure. But it just seems like it's gotten, I mean, to me, there was a precedent set that, that should have made it easier for us to do the right thing now, and yet we're, we're not. Uh, there's just so much, it seems to me there's so much big money on the other side that a lot of people are unable to fight back against it, unwilling to fight back against it. You know, there's a lot of big money out there. You have a lot of politicians that want to, talk about property rights and there's some of them that do something about property rights yeah uh and it talks pretty cheap you need yeah. to, you know if you're in fear you need to put your vote on the line and uh you know support property rights yeah craig i really want to thank you for taking the time to visit with us thank you ed my pleasure folks have been talking with craig uh, shoneman he's a farmer near aberdeen south dakota uh recently uh, received uh uh, papers from Summit Carbon Solutions. He's one of 80 landowners being sued. Uh, Summit wants to take their land through eminent domain to build a CO2 pipeline. 
Uh, Craig also served in the state legislature for 10 years back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, delight to have him on the program. Uh, when we come back from a short break, folks, uh, we've, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the spate of shootings in Texas. And uh, where I want to go with that might not be, uh, might, might not be what you think. Uh, we'll have a conversation about that when we come back from a short break on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Hey, great to have you back with me on the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here. Thanks to our sponsors, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Hey, thanks also to Westrom Optometry. That's in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. And the clinic is open from Monday until Friday, what, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. And on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Okay, so serious conversation here, folks. Actually, it's all pretty serious, right? But we're going to talk about gun violence, um, which it's gotten so bad, it's hard to even keep up with all the senseless killings. You know, already this year, we've had over 200 mass gun murders. Now, by mass, the definition means either four people either killed or injured. That qualifies as a mass shooting. And again, that's 200, more than one per day. Now, I think it helps to dig into the numbers a little bit. I came across this report uh, from February 2022 by the National Institute for Justice. Uh, and no, that's not some left or right wing, you know, think tank. The NIJ, National Institute of Justice, is a division of the DOJ, Department of Justice. It operates, you know, whether Republicans or Democrats are in charge in Washington, D.C., doesn't matter. The folks there are producing good data. And this particular report from February of last year analyzes 53 years of gun violence. That's pretty comprehensive, 1966 through 2019. The report's overview reads, and I quote, Persons who committed public mass shootings in the U.S. over the last half century were commonly troubled by personal trauma before their shooting incidents, nearly always in a state of crisis at the time. 
I just think that's important to keep in mind. And again, when you're at a, at a moment of crisis, maybe you're not thinking right, and if you've got access to something like a gun, you're more likely to do more damage. Now, that report also found that perpetrators of mass shootings were frequently suicidal. In fact, 30% were suicidal prior to the shooting, and during the actual shooting, that number rose to 39%. So, yeah. And another important, important quote from the report, again, this is, there's a lot to, to this. Uh, quote, in public discourse, mass shootings are often blamed on mental illness, but the research indicates the role of mental illness in mass shootings is complicated, not clear-cut. Psychosis played a minor role in nearly one-third of the cases, but a primary role in only 10%. So to those who want to, you know, if you don't want any restrictions on gun purchases or ownership, and instead what, you're, what you want to do is blame gun violence on mental health problems, I think the data is pretty clear that you're wrong. It's not, that's not the main problem. Now, this is also interesting. The report points out that most individuals who engaged in mass shootings used handguns 72%, no, 77% of the time, and assault rifles 25% of the time. So think about that. You know, I, I know if you want more gun control and your focus is on assault weapons, you're missing the biggest part of the problem. And don't get me wrong, I, I, my opinion, no American needs to own a weapon whose primary purpose is to be used in warfare. I, I get that. But it's not, the, it's, not the, it's not the primary weapon being used in these killings. So to those who see the um, gun violence problem strictly as a problem of angry white men, well, you're largely correct. Uh, and, and I'm rounding it here. I'll round these numbers. Again, this is from the study. 98% of those who were uh, who committed these acts of gun violence over this 53-year period, 98% were male, 98%. 52% were white, 21% black, 8% Latino, 6% Asian, 4% Middle Eastern, and 2% Native American. Again, 98, well, the actual number, 97.7% male. Let that sink in. It is significant that over half the perpetrators of mass shootings were white. But beyond significant, nearly 100%, I mean, nearly 100% men. And, and that defines a major element of the problem. And again, that report is 1966 through 2019. And so, yeah, what about more recent years? Well, not surprisingly, uh, and this is beyond the survey because it only goes through 2019, the problem's not getting any better. In 2020, 610 mass killings. 2021, 690. 2022, 646, and in 2023 so far, we are on pace to match or exceed those numbers. So if we're honest, we've got to admit that there's not one identifiable cause of the problem of gun violence, nor is there a simple identifiable solution as I see it. Now, one, one non-solution, of course, uh, we have to thank uh, Texas Senator Ted Cruz for the non-solution, which is, of course, his favorite response. Thoughts and prayers. And in response to last week's shooting at a um, shopping mall in Allen, Texas, Cruz, tw uh, he, he, he ticked off a lot of people. And, he, and it, this should have ticked off a lot of people. He tweeted, 
his wife Heidi, says, quote, Heidi and I are praying for the families of the victims of the horrific mall shooting in Allen, Texas. We pray also for the broader Collin County community that's in shock from this tragedy. Now, I mean, where do you even start with that? Uh, Shannon Watts, she's the founder of the uh, gun safety group Moms Demand Action. She responded with a tweet of her own. You, Senator Cruz, helped arm him with guns, this perpetrator with guns, ammo, and tactical gear. He did exactly what you knew he'd do. Spare us your prayers and talk of justice for a gunman who is dead. The only accountability we can hope for is that gun extremists like you are thrown into the ash heap of history. All right, fair enough. <laughs> now, the, uh, the shooter in this case was uh, Mauricio Garcia. Latino? Uh, we don't know yet. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's Latino. He was also an avowed Nazi sympathizer. We know that for sure. And he wore a patch on his clothing during the shooting that said right-wing death squad. And, you know, elsewhere in the Lone Star State, um, you know, in Brownsville, uh, I mean, this is all happening in a few days, right? Eight people were killed and 10 were injured after a car drove through a big group of people outside of a shelter that serves as immigrants and homeless people. Again, that's not a gun violence death. It's a death by automobile. We've seen, we've seen too much of that as well, not just in this country, in France and elsewhere. Um, but here it seems like somebody was anti-immigrant and targeting this community. We still don't know all the details about that. And maybe you will by the time you hear this program, depending on what station you listen to it on. But it's hard to know, it's hard to know which recent mass shooting is more appalling. But I think the one in Cleveland, Texas, probably qualifies as the most appalling. Uh, Francisco Oropesa, a guy who had been deported four times, by the way, he was shooting his guns in his backyard, which would disturb me badly. A neighbor asked him to stop because the gunfire was waking the, the guy's baby. And what is his response? He kills the neighbor's family using an AR-15. I mean, this is insanity. This is absolutely insane. And it's interesting that these kind of hate crimes seem to be on the rise among Latino men. Uh, you know, again, the data, we, the data I've been citing is only through 2019. But here's a couple just from this week that appear to involve Latino men. And there's also, of course, Henry Enrique Tario. He's one of the Proud Boy leaders. He's now headed, headed to the uh, big house for his role in the uh, January 6th insurrection. Uh, there's also, of course, with the same group, the Proud Boys, is Nick Fuentes. And to quote from uh, an Axios story I saw today, Fuentes is, quote, part of a small but increasingly visible number of far-right provocateurs with Hispanic backgrounds who spread racist, anti-Semitic messages. Again, back to the data from the uh, National Institute of Justice, um, 52% of the per per uh, per perpetrators, there we go, are white, 97.7% are male. So, you know, some immigrant, some anti-immigrant types are going to jump on these recent incidents involving Hispanic perpetrators and say, close the border. But, you know, that we, you know, it, that's easy to see. That's just fear mongering, race baiting. It's, it's not going to be helpful. And again, look at some of the other recent, um, recent problems or tragedies. A 20-year-old white woman in upstate New York shot and killed after driving into the wrong driveway. Didn't even get out of the car. The, the shooter was a white man. I, I, I have no idea what the heck was going on in that guy's mind. Then there was a black kid, 16-year-old Ralph Yarl in Missouri, 
shot by an 84-year-old white man when Jarl knocked on the guy's door, thinking it was another home, knocked on the wrong door. No words. Kids just out there on the doorstep, shot and killed. So I really don't. I mean, this has become such a horrible problem. I don't know how come we can't come together and find a solution to this gun violence. And again, related, gun, related violence driving into crowds of immigrants. Um, I guess the, 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 really the entity we need to ask here is the NRA because they are a big part of the problem. Obviously, there's big money to be made in selling guns. And just like the oil companies who insist on expanding oil production in the face of climate change, I mean, the evidence is there. Yet they're going to keep, keep drilling oil, drilling for oil. They're going to keep making money because we let them. The NRA, of course, they're making lots of money. Their affiliates are making lots of money making more and more guns, and we're, they're going to keep doing it as long as there's less and less regulation. And we, we let them get away with it, they're going to keep doing it. So, yeah, we need, we need tougher gun rigs, obviously. Uh, permits. I mean, heck, you, can, you need a permit to perform music on a street corner. You don't need a permit to buy a gun? Come on. Background checks. You know, TSA, if you look suspicious, they're not going to let you fly on a plane. And yet we think nothing of selling guns to someone with a history of serious mental illness. So sure, better, better mental health services, yeah, we need that too. We, we, need, we need stronger gun regulations. We need stronger mental health services. But it's more, it's more than a gun problem, more than a mental health problem. And even though the data might suggest otherwise, it's more than a male problem, more than a white offender problem. You know, but that begs the question, what is it that's eating at American males, especially white males? You know, I'll offer a handful of suggestions. Uh, I'll have to do this quickly because I'm running out of time in this segment. We'll have to come back to this, and I want to come back to this. So race. Okay, so whites, men in particular, feel threatened. Anytime, you know, just it's just natural. Our species, other species, anytime a dominant element feels threatened, feels like their power and influence and dominance might, 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 might wane, some in that class are going to act out, even if they don't understand why. And the solution... Get counseling. Come on, really. I mean, things are changing. We're moving toward greater equality in this world, and that's a good thing. If you don't like it, if you don't know why you don't like it, get counseling. Uh, another thing, society. What We've built a society that disconnects people by design. I mean, you know, it, it, pe more and more people are insulated. I mean, I write about this in my book, and I want to share that with you sometime too, because we are trapped uh, in machines or in our homes and separated from other people and from nature most of the time. And I think that's a huge part of the problem. There's also the economy. We've created an economy that always must continue to grow. And, you know, how many people actually like their jobs? You know, you should like your job. And if you do, good. If you don't, find another one. But again, I say that it's tough to do, given the, the way the system has been set up. You know, I mean, a lot of what... Well, a lot of what school is about these days is prepping you to be a cog in that machine. And yeah, in terms of education, uh, we have a lot of work there to do to restore some sanity and some focus to the way our educational system works. Last thing I'd want to mention before going to a break, screen violence. Not just televisions, but yeah, televisions are a big part of it. You know, and I, I love how Hollywood types will push back against gun violence, even as they star in horrifically violent movies. And I... I know that, you know, you can't necessarily blame that on a particular incident. But come on, all this stuff is that all this stuff 
builds up, adds up to a society that is violent beyond anything we've seen historically. And the evidence is there. And if we're going to tackle it, it's going to have to be more than one side shouting about guns and the other side shouting about mental health. We're going to have to come together for a much more comprehensive look at the problem. Okay, folks, uh, Ed Fallon with you here. That's my rant on gun violence for today. (laughs) We're going to come back uh, with Kathy Burns joining me for a, a conversation about some of the top crops that small farms might consider to make a go at it. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to Gateway Market, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, so Kathy Burns is with me. Hello, Kathy. Welcome to the program. And uh, what have we got on the uh, table this morning? I saw an article about uh, some of the crops that are recommended by uh, Small Business Trends, a group called Small Business Trends, uh, if they want to actually make money doing small farming, Okay. small-scale farming in 2023. How do we define small-scale farming? The USDA defines that as one with gross cash Income, farm income, under 250000 Guess what? Birds and bees, urban farm qualifies. And that's also, a, That's a pretty high threshold. It is. And acreage. Um, small family farms average 231 acres. Um, an uh, actual small uh, farm and then is considered anything under, you know, right around 200 or fewer acres. That's pretty big. That is pretty big. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what are some of the uh, crops that one might consider growing if you have a small farm? Well, there was a long list, and I chose some that I thought were most interesting, so I won't go through the whole list, but oyster mushrooms was one of the things that caught my attention mm, on the list. Okay. You grow them on oysters? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> and uh, just just the fact that the medium that you use to grow oyster or to grow mushrooms, you can reuse and, and inoculate, and it can get you several blooms. And uh, they take up a smaller space than some other types of things. Yeah. What do you what what logs do they grow on? Do you know? I don't. Okay. No, huh. I know that we do some. We shiitake do shiitakes, on, on and oak. they like oak logs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 
So they're 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 quickly growing. They're inexpensive to produce, and people are more and more interested in the mm. mushrooms. Um, microgreens was a big one yeah. too, and that's been popular with small scale farmers for a long time. You know, a gal here in in the area who grew quite a few microgreens just in her basement under grow lights. Right. Yeah. Right. And she would just harvest them with the scissors, which is sure. always cute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they're popular with restaurants. I mean, I would never make myself a salad of microgreens, but they're used a lot in restaurants, and I think that's the market for them, to you know, s- spread across a, a flatbread, a pizza yeah. of some kind, or to top a dish with. If I can back up for, back mm-hmm. up for a second, I would redefine small. Uh, first of all, income. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... What do you really need to get by? I mean, can, can you can you can you can you have a gross income of fifty thousand dollars and consider that a successful, livable standard? I mean, it depends on who your your situation, I suppose. But mm-hmm. but that and um, you know, two hundred thirty one acres, you could get you could probably make a living on a lot smaller, especially if you're growing something like mushrooms or microgreens. Could be. Yeah. Could be. And and I think variety is a good idea, too. Yeah, sure. Uh, cherry tomatoes is on the list. Hmm. And, uh, you know, fun. I, I like the fact that these things going together kind of make a nice recipe. <laughs> <laughs> and why cherry tomatoes and not just any old tomato? They're easy to harvest and transport. They're, okay. they're small. People eat them like candy. Again, <laughs> um, restaurants like to use them. People love to include them in the kids' sack lunches. Okay. Uh, those, are, those are a nice, handy, kind of think of fast food. Food, you All know, right. think of something sure. convenience food. Garlic, also not a fast food or a convenience put the, put food. Put that in your kid's lunch I'm... with the cherry tomatoes. Yeah. Your <laughs> it, kid chew on this. <laughs> it doesn't require a lot of space or resources. And, well, um, yeah, we, we have very a, popular. We grow 120 heads of garlic just along either side of our sidewalk. And our sidewalk is only, what, uh, 15 feet long? Something like that. Yeah. So in about so, 30 feet of... Space. There was a farmer here in Iowa, in central Iowa, Larry Cleverly, who uh, he called himself the biggest garlic farmer in Iowa, which weren't was a lot. Was he the biggest person who grew garlic? <laughs> well, he probably yeah. was the biggest garlic farmer. He had farmer. a big heart. Yeah, but he had, <laughs> you know, he didn't have, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of space to produce a lot of garlic. You know? mm-hmm. um, the last one I want to comment on that was on the list, um, and, and, unless we, we have a couple more, but pumpkins and that's exciting because we grew so many pumpkins this year but this article really didn't specify if those were uh, the the jack-o'-lantern type yeah. pumpkins so you would have a jack-o'-lantern farm or pie pumpkins um, I was a little confused by this article because it says you can do the you pick for consumers uh, you can also harvest your own and sell them at grocery stores or, or to food producers but I would think I would think pumpkins would take up a lot more room than garlic microgreens oyster mm-hmm. mushrooms I mean we're talking about a vining plant that just sprawls <laughs> I, I just want to have a pumpkin uh, based pasta sauce with garlic mushrooms and what else do we have? Microgreens, uh, microgreens salad. and, no, and cherry tomatoes. Cherry tomatoes, <laughs> and, then, and then and then you top it with the microgreens. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. And the bottom line is, there's lots of innovative ways to make this stuff work. So, mm-hmm. hey, Kathy, thanks again for joining us today, uh, and thanks to my guests Les Knight and Craig Shoneman. Also to our production team: Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, and Bold Iowa. 
Thanks also to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot. Go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.